tarot can't tell you anything you don't already know. It gives you a way to give voice to that unconscious information. Welcome to the Pass Your Passion podcast, episode 40. I'm Brian Hoffer, and today we have Carrie on tarot. Before we get into Carrie on tarot, this is going to be the last episode of the season. I wanted to thank you all for listening. I'd like to also thank Aaron Hoffer for working on the production of this podcast. Without him, I would be lost and you would not have this wonderful experience and entertainment. So I think we should all be appreciative of the work that he does. So thank you for that. And I I just wanted to say I, I continue enjoying listening to these passions and getting to know everyone and their unique perspectives. There's so many people that embrace these different passions, that pursue these different subjects, but how each individual pursues it is so unique. And I love to hear the stories behind it. I love to hear the joy behind it. I, I love to see the look in someone's eye or the pace of their voice when a question or a topic really hits them in the right spot. And they're kind of driven by this, this power, this emotion behind it, and they go with it. It's, it's a wonderful connection to make. And I get to meet new people. I get to have new experiences as well. And, and they get to pass their passion. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for those that have been on so far. I, I look forward to hearing more passions. Feel free to reach out at brianhofferlit at gmail.com if you have any passions that you'd like to recommend. If you yourself have a passion, if you know anyone else, that's B-R-Y-A-N-H-O-F-F-E-R-L-I-T, like literature, at gmail.com, brianhofferlit at gmail.com. Now, let's get into Carrie. Carrie is a tarot creator. Carrie is a tarot participant, carries so many things as part of tarot. And I think what really interested me in speaking with Carrie about tarot is this kind of perception around tarot. I remember telling people that I was going to do this episode on tarot and some of the preconceptions or misconceptions that I myself had or others had about how limited and how limiting tarot is. And speaking with Carrie helped me see that there's more complexity to it, more depth to it. And there's kind of this way of making sense of things in the world. There's this way of having an artistic outlet, of connecting with others, of connecting with yourself on a new level that we address. Now, I want to make sure to plug some of Carrie's work, especially The Spacious Tarot, which is a collaboration of episode 10's Annie on creativity. Annie was the illustrator, the artist for this tarot deck, and Carrie is the collaborative creator of it as well. And we talk about that, and we give a shout out to Annie as well, whose new book is out. You can find Carrie's The Spacious Tarot. You can also find a lot of other of Carrie's pursuits, including tarot readings, on Carrie Mallon, C-A-R-R-I-E-M-A-L-L-O-N.com. And all of Carrie Mallon's social media can be found across Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all through Carrie Mallon of the same spelling. So sit back, relax, make sense of the world around you with this classic game of Carrie on tarot. 
on the Pass Your Passion podcast. I like your, is that a pothos back there? It is. Yeah. It's looking nice and healthy. That's a healthy looking pothos. <laughs> it is. I have a lot of pothos, but that's my best one. So it's perfect that it's the one in view. Sure. Do, do you have a name for your pothos? No, although that's surprising now that you mention it. I can't believe I don't have a name for all my plants because I love plants. Now, now's your chance to throw a name out there. It doesn't have to stick. It can be the name for the day. I know. I'm just like, go, go look at it. What's what I'm thinking? Like Bertha comes to mind, but that's not a very like, it sounds, it sounds kind of harsh, but. It sounds like a strong pothos though. We're going with strong. Okay. I like alliteration. So I was going to go poly and pothos because, you know, nice alliteration there. Poly the pothos. I like that. Actually, I remember I do have a snake plant and I posted it on my Instagram and someone messaged me and said I should name it Wanda. So actually do have one plant that already had a name, which is Wanda. Did they, did they give a reasoning why Wanda was the, the name that they chose? Why they, they, they felt that to send that to you? Yeah, it's actually because, as you know, because that's part of what we're talking about, I think, because I'm, I'm a tarot reader and there's a suit in tarot called the suit of wands. And the, I think the snake plant has, you know, they look like wands. So it's Wanda. Okay, so oh, it's tarot related. And I was going to ask, because I know that artwork was such a, a part of your project, the spacious tarot, which we'll talk about today. What did a pothos plant or another plant make the cut of uh, the artwork on any of the cards? We do have a lot of plants, not a pothos in particular, but we do have um, a lot of trees and some, we have some flowers with, yeah, very nature-based. I really like the kind of colors, everything pops yet it blends so well was, that was my first impression of seeing it. Yeah. It's Annie did an amazing job with the illustrations. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I know nothing about tarot. And I made sure not to research anything about tarot because I want to hear about tarot from your perspective, what it means to you, how, how you embody, uh, would you call it an art? How would you even define it? Would it be the art of tarot? I would definitely use art for sure. And, and do you see it as a, as a form of like expression or as a, you know, a form of entertainment? Well, where do you view the kind of relationship that you have with tarot initially. What I love about tarot is it can be anything you want it to be. And so for me, um, one thing that I've said in the past about tarot is I think it refuses to be any one thing. So sometimes it can be something that you just look at the images because they're pretty, like there are people who just collect decks because of the artwork. Um, and there's some decks I have where that's really it. It's like, I just think they're pretty and I like to have them around. It can be something that you can use to sort of think about, this is the main thing I like to do with tarot is I, I describe it often as for me, it's like a map of the human experience. So I listened to your conversation with Annie, my collaborator, and she mentioned briefly that tarot ties into uh, Joseph Campbell's theory of the hero's journey, which is something that I really like about it because I can kind of look at the tarot cards and in them see mirrored things that I've personally experienced. And it just helps me uh, think about things in a different way and sometimes even make deeper sense of things that I'm going through. So that that's kind of the biggest thing that, that it is for me. 
Got it. So, so do you often kind of go to tarot when you have some sort of issue in your life that you're struggling with kind of making sense of or knowing what to do? Do you find yourself leaning to that as one of the first forms of connecting with your mind and your decisions? I do. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, when they're not really familiar with tarot, the association they have is about fortune telling. And there are some people who do that, but that's not really my approach. It's more, this is something, but yeah, as you said, when, when I'm faced with pretty much anything in my life, it's something that helps me think about things in a different way. I do think of it in somewhat of a spiritual sense, which not everyone does. Some people are very secular with tarot, but I do, you know, kind of think of it as guidance. Um, I don't think of it as set in stone. Like these are going to tell me this is what you have to do. And, you know, this is what's going to happen, but it just helps me look at, you know, I think of it as like reflecting patterns that are maybe going on within me and helping me kind of unravel those patterns. So it definitely can give guidance and give wisdom. Um, and sometimes it's just surprisingly helpful, you know? So yeah, that's for me, it's useful and that's why I like it. Got it. Okay. So I'm seeing kind of like a big abstract picture of tarot, but I still really want to get down to the basics of what is it? So there are cards. Tarot has to be cards. That's kind of my first basic understanding. Is that right? Yes. So I'll give a quick kind of in a nutshell overview of what it is. So as you said, it's cards. It's a deck of 78 cards. Um, every tarot deck that you interact with will have different inter you kind of like visual interpretations, but it's the same underlying structure. So there are uh, 22, what we call the major arcana. And then there's 56, what we call the minor arcana. And arcana is a word that just means sort of like hidden knowledge or secrets. So the major arcana, these are the ones I mentioned, like the hero's journey. These are the cards that really mirror the hero's journey. And um, people think of them as sort of the, it's not that they're more important than the rest of the cards in the deck, but they're kind of the heart of the deck. And then the minor arcana, I kind of started to mention this when I was talking about my plant actually, but it's uh, split into four suits. So they're, they, the suits themselves sometimes have different names depending on the decks as well, but usually they're wands swords, cups, and pentacles. And each suit kind of has a different association with like what aspect of life people associate them with. So when you have all 78 cards together, that's why I said earlier, I think of them as a map of the human experience because they sort of all tie into these different things that we go through in our lives. How do these cards give some sort of perspective or message. I think that's, so I see that there are different cards. The different cards have different associations or meanings or connections to the hero's journey, to life. I'm, I'm kind of hearing that. Now, how do the cards bridge between what happens in real life and, and what we're seeing on these individual cards? Uh, well, I hope this, I hope this answers actually the question, but so what I think of is there's a concept from Carl Jung called synchronicity. And the whole idea of synchronicity is basically just synchronicities are meaningful coincidences. So that's kind of how, when I think about like how tarot works, quote unquote, I think it's through synchronicity that somehow, even though there's not 
a direct measurable correlation between like you pull a card and what you're feeling in that moment or what you're asking, you know, asking about with, with that reading, but somehow it, you know, when you look for it and you're open to that synchronicity, I think it becomes available. So I hope, does that, does that kind of answer? Yeah. It, it almost sounds like it reveals to you what decision you were maybe going to make subconsciously all along or how you maybe felt about it. It helps to, to kind of bring out the inner feelings that you're having on an issue and connect it with something real. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, for me, it definitely does. And you know, every tarot reader you talk to is different. But yeah, the way you're describing it is really in line with how I use tarot. Um, I remember a few years ago, I sometimes I make um, YouTube videos. And I made a video where uh, I think I titled it, Tarot Can't Tell You Anything You Don't Already Know. Because that is what I feel what you're saying is that it just sort of helps you maybe understand a lot of people think of it as helping you understand what's happening for you on an unconscious level. So kind of deeper within you. And it gives you a way to give voice to that unconscious information. So it's not that it tells you, you know, things that you were completely unaware of, but it just helps you maybe go into like, oh, maybe I was having some resistance to that, or that was kind of hidden in somewhere in my psyche. I, I like that. Tarot tells you things that you, what was it already knew? What was the exact phrase there? Yeah, I said, tarot can't tell you anything you don't already know on some level. On some, it might be very deep and it might be like, there might be resistance, it might be hidden, but yeah. Sure. And and I think that's that's a good kind of overall highlighting your perspective on tarot is that your thoughts are there, your beliefs are there, your feelings are there on any given issue or part of your life. But this kind of helps to bring them out. It helps you to to work with them, to reckon with them and and take steps as a result or react as a result. Yeah, exactly. It's sure. I think that sometimes it creates uh like, I don't really know how to put it into words, but it's almost like it gives you permission to go into that unconscious stuff when you see it on a card. Um, in a weird way, I think it almost creates, not in an unhealthy way, but I think it creates a little bit of distance between you and like maybe your subconscious or things that are a little more tricky for you. You're seeing it in the card and it just, I don't know, I feel like it's really hard to explain, but it just gives you a language and a way to talk about things that are really hard to talk about in more of a direct way. It's like an intermediary, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, sometimes we have issues that we know are present, that we know are important, that we need to either act on or talk about or express and if we don't have a meaningful tool to do, do so, it, it, it makes it more challenging. So it seems like this is, tarot can almost be a tool to be able to access that, to work with it in, in a way where you're being honest and open and, and reflective is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that part about being honest and open and reflective, it's maybe that's part of what I was kind of ham-fistedly trying to say is um, if you approach it with the right energy, it creates a space where it feels kind of safe for you to do that. Uh, and maybe without the cards, it might be a little more difficult, you know, and everyone's different with what works for them to create that space for them to go into those things. But tarot is, is something that works for, you know, for a lot of people. I think what I'm hearing repeated a lot as well is this idea of it doesn't seem like you're a tarot gatekeeper, you're a tarot, whatever works for you or how we might phrase it. Cause you're like, whether you use it for secular reasons, for spiritual reasons, for anything in between, 
uh, whether you're using it for fortune telling or just for working through problems, go for it. That's, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's very much, that's a huge thing for me. In fact, not long ago, I posted this thing on Instagram and on TikTok where I was talking about all the different types of people I've known who are tarot readers. There's not one kind of person who is a tarot reader. There's, I know Christians who are tarot readers. I know atheists, I know lawyers, anarchists, occultists, um, therapists. So there's people from all different walks of life. So that is a big thing for me is like tarot is not, like I said earlier, it can't be pinned down. It's not one particular thing. It's whatever you need it to be or whatever you perceive it to be. Sure. I, I like, I, I heard you list a bunch of, bunch of kind of religious and spiritual things and then lawyer came up and I started to think to myself, is, is being a lawyer a religion? And then I started to answer, oh yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> Uh, well, the fun, the thing, the reason I think I put that in there, it is kind of funny. It might be kind of random, but is because I think sometimes people have this perception of like, oh, the only people who read tarot cards are like hippie mystic people, and it's like there are people who you would not expect who read tarot. And then I paired it with anarchists because to me that's just hilarious that there's people whose job is to like instate order because they're a lawyer, and then there's someone who's like wants to tear the system down, and they're also a tarot reader. Like it's just any every spectrum of human you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that you put those together as well, because from what I'm hearing so far about tarot, it very much seems like there's a structure, there's an order to it, but at the same time, there's possibilities. So it kind of fits into that anarchist, anything can happen. There, there are rules, but they can be broken. They should be broken. And then there's the kind of lawyer side of, there's structure, there's rules, there's an order, there's a process that needs to be followed. Is that right? Or is it one way or the other more so? I think that's really, that's another thing that I actually was just talking about recently on one of my social media posts is uh, different sort of methods of reading tarot. And this, I think it kind of ties into what you're saying, because there's one method of reading tarot that can be called the analytical style, which is more the lawyer style. And that's where you really have specific associations for the cards. It's very like people are going into it being like, these symbols mean this and the numbers mean this. And it's a very structured way of interpreting the cards where there's other ways that are more intuitive um, and more kind of free flowing. And most tarot readers combine styles, you know, it's not just one or the other, but there definitely are people who lean more on like quote unquote traditional card meanings and like an analytical approach and people who are more like free flowing with it. Okay. And it almost sounds kind of like we would work with literature in the fact that we can take one passage and interpret it multiple ways and it sounds like some people might be very set in their ways and saying, this is the only way to interpret it. While other people might go, well, there's actually multiple interpretations that we can take from this because of this or that reason. Is that kind of the case of what I'm hearing is there's maybe tarot purists. Well, then there are more tarot uh, flexible or tarot open people. Yeah, I think so. And even it's funny to me because even the people who are more purists, it kind of makes me laugh because I'm like all of these meaning, and I keep putting everything in quotes, like meanings in quotes, were established by some person. And then some other person came along and kind of slightly changed that because the cards have been around for hundreds of years, right? So kind of the established meanings have always evolved. So I'm like, even if you think you're really following a structure, that structure just kind of came from a person who was 
sort of going into their intuition and being like, here's what I think about this, you know? Okay. Now I'm still back to the the tarot process. I get the types of cards that are in the deck based on what we talked about before, but the way that you use the cards and, and read the cards, so to speak, is it kind of like we would look at playing cards and the fact that you can distribute them and have a purpose in many different ways. And what is your tarot process? Walk me through what you're doing with these. I think it was 78 cards. What is your rule book? What is your map when you go about using tarot cards? Yeah, I hope this answers the question. But what usually what people do, not everyone, but this is usually what I do. Yeah, I'd like to hear about your process. I understand that it's going to be different. And we're all about your tarot passion. So yes, please. I have a weird, that's like a sidetrack, but like I have, you can probably already tell, I have a big fixation of being like, everybody's different. This is just me. I feel like too much that way sometimes. I'll put an asterisk disclaimer that this is only Carrie's tarot process and Carrie's <laughs> tarot passion, but other people, it might be embodied another way. But yeah, I, I want to hear about Carrie's tarot passion and Carrie's, This that's very hard to say, Carrie's tarot process. I'm obviously like, I'm very aware of dogma and I don't like it. So I try to, I'm like hyper aware of it. That's great. So what I do is I work with spreads and this is what a lot of people do. So a spread is basically just the pattern that you're using when you're laying out the cards. So one example, there's a really famous, probably the most famous tarot spread. It's called the Celtic cross. And um, it has, it's essentially like you lay the first card down and the exact sort of way people think of the positions within the spread varies, but usually like the very first card represents the heart of the matter, right? So whatever kind of topic you're looking at with that reading, that would be the first card. And then there's other cards, like there's one that talks about unconscious influences, one that represents conscious influences, energy moving out, energy moving in. So as you're laying the cards down, the spread creates a pattern so that you have not only the card to work with, but you have, oh, okay, this card is in a position that talks about energy moving out or, you know, whatever. So that gives more context to how to uh, actually like come up with a meaning of what you're seeing in the cards. Got it. And, and so I'm hearing the first card is, you said the heart of the matter is the way you referred to it. So, and then, like you said, there was different twists and turns of emotional directions of some kind. That's, that's what I was interpreting there. And so it sounds like it's almost uh, maybe call it like an emotional journey where you begin and the first card is very, very meaningful, very revealing. The first card really centers you into what's about to happen. And the other cards kind of fit and build on that. Is that about right? Yeah, with that particular spread that I use as an example, it very much is so. And there's, But there's all different kinds of spread patterns, so it kind of depends. But I do think of it as it is kind of similar to storytelling because the, the spread almost creates like an underlying structure for the story. So you can sometimes see as you're reading the cards, like a narrative starts to come forward. And there's actually a lot of people. And in fact, this is one of the first things that I started doing when I first started using tarot is um, using them for writing, uh, for fiction writing in particular, 
because they are so good for storytelling, either in a way where we're really looking at um, like metaphorically telling a story about ourselves in our real life, or if we're actually telling like a fictional story, which are kind of two different things to do with the cards. But yeah, they definitely create um, a narrative. And I think the best tarot readers and what I always aim to do when I'm interpreting a spread is not only to go through and say, okay, this card in this position means that, and this means that, and not have them just be very disjointed, but really think about like, how do they all connect? What's like the deeper narrative of this? Got it. So you're not just using these cards for that emotional, spiritual connection. You're also using it for, it sounds like fiction writing. Yeah, they're two kind of two separate instances, but that's another example of something that tarot can be used for is is fiction writing. And so I've done that a fair amount in the past. Yeah. To, to kind of help outline a story arc, is that mostly what's happening? And then you fill in the characters in between? Oh my gosh, there's so really anything in the writing process. So a lot of years ago, gosh, it was probably like 2015, but I wrote a series of blog posts giving people at kind of some suggestions in ways that they can use tarot to do NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And so I had sort of like ways to kind of think about the big theme, like come up with a big idea. And then I had like spreads to like, think about your characters and, you know, spreads for when you have writer's block. So that's more, you know, going into you, but it's like you as a writer. So yeah, like anything you can imagine with writing, you can find a way to to do something with it, with tarot for sure. Yeah. And, and from what I'm hearing, even with this storytelling, it sounds like tarot can't tell you something that you don't already know. Was that right that time? Yes. Okay. Cause I, I was worried I was going to say it wrong again, but I'm really seeing a, that one phrase is telling me so much about the, the kind of art and the expression of it, because even with this kind of fiction that you're talking about, I see that phrase coming in as well, that like you said, as writers, sometimes we have writer's block. We don't know what to do next, but we have creativity. We have imagination, but it might be capped up. It might be blocked in there. And having this tarot is a form of breaking that writer's block and forcing something to happen. And it's still coming from the imagination because it sounds like tarot is what you make it. Tarot is kind of a tool for you to express and however that expression might be embodied. So it sounds like even for a writer, it could happen the same way. Yeah, exactly. It's it. I think it's just one really good way, like especially when you're feeling stuck, it just sort of gets you out of your head and it gets you out of your old patterns and it gets your creativity going in a new way. And that alone can sometimes help you kind of break through to the next idea or the next inspiration. Sure. Okay, cool. Now let's get back to the heart of the matter I had to uh, with talking about the Celtic cross. And that kind of first piece, that first piece really stood out to me being being called the heart. What are some of the, the cards that might show up in that first card and what might they represent? You know, we don't have to go through every single card, but I want to get a little flavor of what's going to happen when we lay out this cross through this journey. What are some of the reactions we might have as an as a audience member or a participant? Mm, well... So it's kind of complicated to answer because for me, I do, like I sort of already mentioned this, but I try to start by looking at a spread as a whole and kind of notice, are there certain patterns with everything and then kind of hone in. But I guess to give more of an example, just to give people an idea for you or for anyone else who really is like not familiar with tarot at all. So 
I have a practice and a lot of tarot readers do where I draw one card every day for myself. So as an example, like today I drew from Annie in my deck, the spacious tarot, a card called the hanged one. In most decks, it's called the hanged man. And uh, the imagery is based off, there's a famous NASA photo called Earthrise, where it's essentially a view from the moon of the earth rising. So say that I had that card and that was talking about like the heart of the matter for something. Well, first of all, there's infinite ways any one card can be interpreted, but one of the kind of core themes of that card for me is seeing things from another perspective. That's why we showed you're on the moon and you're looking at the earth. It's like this ultimate different perspective. So in a really kind of simplified sense, that might be what I would take away is, oh, okay, at the heart of the matter is I'm being sort of called to look at something from a really, really different perspective than I have been looking at it at, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Do, do you find that you interpret the exact same card in different ways, depending on the day? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm very, you know, I talked earlier, some people are more analytic, some are more intuitive. I do like having a kind of a backbone and I like keeping the underlying structure and sort of some key things for each card in mind, but occasionally I'll draw a card and it will just in that moment, just feel very different to me. And it will kind of bring up a message of something I've never really thought about with that card. So I like to think of it as uh, I have a, a really cool book called Tarot and Psychology, and the author of that book, the subtitle of the book is Spectrums of Possibility. So he talks about that each card has an entire spectrum of possibility. It's not just like this card means that and that's that. So yeah, and even to this day, like I've been reading tarot for over 10 years, and there's still times where a card will come up and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm missing this different detail or this, it just feels like this different sort of way of interpreting the card right now. So although it's the same fixed set of, of cards, it can have a new feeling every day. It can always be a new experience. Yeah, I think so. That's one, one of the things I love about it. it. Never gets stale. It's always kind of revealing new layers to you. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Spacious Tarot specifically, because I, I note that, you know, I imagine there's a lot of different tarot cards that already exist, but you felt interested and compelled to create your own. So it's not just interacting with tarot and using tarot as a part of your life through expression, through art, through communication are some of the things I'm picking out so far, but it also sounds like you wanted to create through tarot. So I'd like to hear about that. Was any part of the initial inception? of this did you did you go to Annie after you had already you know kind of brainstormed the idea I'd like to hear about the beginnings of that and why you felt you wanted to create your own tarot deck sure okay so I love this story because I just think it's really cool but I had started having secret fantasies about creating a tarot deck, but I hadn't told anyone. And Annie and I had met a couple of years before. She, I have a blog and she found me through my blog. So she had actually offered to do some illustrations for my website at that time, which is really sweet of her. So I already knew she was really talented. And so she was the person I had in mind. I was like, I want to create a tarot deck and I want to do it with Annie, but I am bad at taking initiative. I'll get an inspiration and then all of the like self-doubt and like procrastinate, all these things pop up. Right. So I hadn't done anything about it. And then Annie actually reached out to me and it wasn't very long after I had the initial 
idea. And she said, Carrie, I want to create a tarot deck with you. So it felt, you know, like synchronicity, like I mentioned earlier, it was like, wow, that's amazing. So we took a while of finding our groove with the project. We were trying a few different approaches and ultimately we found a really good way to work with how our skills complement each other because I have more of the uh, knowledge of of tarot. I mean, Annie's a great tarot reader in her own right, but it's like my kind of specialty. And uh, so I would sort of come up with a general concept and I would give the concept to her and then she would flesh out like the composition and the colors and everything like that. And it just ended up feeling like, like by the end of the project, I felt like we could read each other's minds. Cause I would send her like this chaotic email being like, I'm kind of picturing it's like this and this and this. And that is like all over the place. And then she'd do this illustration. It would be like perfect and beautiful and amazing. That's, that's great that you, you kind of found a balance to work with someone where any sort of communication ends up being clear. They have that intuition. They're able to see kind of through the clutter, like you said, of that email and, and pick it out and, and be your motivation as well. I've definitely used Annie for creative motivation too. Uh, you know, when I'm not feeling creative, I've, I've reached out to her as well. So I think we're finding something about Annie. We'll give a shout out to her at, at this point and, and thank her for the creative spirit and the drive that we both need from her. She's the best. She's amazing. Yeah. Did you do a lot of research when you were creating it or did you already have this base knowledge of tarot? So there wasn't a lot of, hmm, you know, uh, you knew how many cards you had to have. You knew how many of each card you had to have. Was there a lot of research before you started creating or did you have enough of that base knowledge you already shared with us uh, about it to create it? I think probably by that time, it was more like revisiting the knowledge I already had and also kind of going even into deeper layers of the knowledge I already had uh, because I'd already been working with tarot for quite a while. But the biggest thing that I did with our deck is I just thought, you know, I have a lot of decks that I worked with already and there would be certain, um, because I'd seen the images in so many different ways that I'd kind of worked up a sense for a lot of cards of like, how does the essence of this card feel to me? Because in 10 different decks, it's going to look 10 different. Sometimes there's similar patterns because some decks are really inspired by other decks. Uh, but yeah, so I would sort of just think like beyond even the imagery, like how does this card feel to me? And so actually some of the images in the spacious tarot are super, super different than traditional tarot decks. And there were a few where when we came up with the concepts and we would do the card, I was kind of nervous to show people. Actually, that one I mentioned earlier, the hanged one is a perfect example of that because there's, I've never seen a deck in my life that has that illustration. It's usually literally like a man hanging upside down. So there were a lot of cards where it was like, well, to me, it feels like I want to show that visually in a totally different way. How did you come to that conclusion of this kind of, I think you said it was a sunrise from a NASA, famous NASA image. How did you go from the, the typical, stereotypical hanged man to this kind of image? What was your kind of feeling and process through that? It's hard to explain because it happens so like intuitively. It's hard to put into words. But uh, actually, I know one thing that was more of a, a specific thing with the project is Pinterest. I had a Pinterest board with kind of just like collecting ideas and things that I thought might be cool. 
And I think at some point I just randomly came across that NASA photo of Earthrise of the Earth rising from the moon. And I just like, it just clicked into place. I was like, wow, because to me that card, even, you know, I talked about it being about a different perspective, which it feels that, but it can also sometimes be to me about like a dark night of the soul, a time where you just feel in suspense. You're not you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're going and you might feel a little lost. And so that idea of like being out in space in this kind of like bleak atmosphere fit really well. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question, but that's the best I can Yeah, do. I think so. Sometimes our best inspiration happens just in a moment of connection. Now, now I hear the name Spacious Tarot and I hear this this hanged man, uh, hanged one, excuse me, in your context uh, of this sunrise from from NASA from out, outer space, is a lot of your influence with the stars and the space, and is it kind of in a natural way inspired like that? Is it in a spiritual way? Is it somewhere in between? Yeah, we. It's kind of funny because that wasn't really an intentional decision, and I wouldn't say like it's not like a space themed deck. There's a lot of grounded, you know, we talked earlier about plant imagery and things like that. But the name the spacious tarot came to me while I was out for a walk one day. And it just felt right. And I talked to Annie about it. She was like, that's perfect. Like, that's the name. And when I think about what it means, and maybe how it ties into the theme of our deck is, uh, so our deck is a, a bit different than a lot of decks in that we don't have any people. And not all tarot decks, but a lot of tarot decks have people. So one of our concepts with the spacious tarot is that each card creates a space that you as the person pulling the card can almost imagine yourself inhabiting that space. Instead of you pull a card and you see like, oh, there's a man hanging or whatever, you see a scene and it's a space for you. And that's, in fact, on the ins- when you right when you open the box of our deck inside the box, it says this space is for you. So that was kind of the space theme is that like, each card is this energetic realm and it's for you. It's not about you're looking at another person in it. It's like, this is your space. Now, was that part of why you felt that kind of initial spark or want to create this card? Because you felt there was a part of tarot that was missing, a part of tarot that was more inclusive and and less restrictive? I think it was, but it, at first it, that was very much like on an unconscious level, because when we first started working on the deck, we did have some conversations of like, are we going to include people? But even back then we knew like, if we are going to include people, we want to do it where maybe like, it's just silhouettes or it's more abstract uh, because I have a hard time. I do have some decks with people that I really like, but I kind of sometimes struggle with decks with people because because sometimes they aren't as inclusive. So when I'm reading for my clients, for example, like I don't want to just have a deck that's like all straight white people, for example, right? Um, So I, I sometimes struggle with that. And I think that the longer we went on, again, it wasn't really consciously thinking like what doesn't already exist, but it was thinking like, what would be my, what would be my like soulmate deck? Like what would feel like, yes, this is how I think of tarot. This is how I interpret it. Um, And that's kind of what, what we ended up creating was just like, what do we want to see, you know? Sure. And and so before you created this deck with Annie, did you feel as though you didn't have this? Uh, did you call it a soulmate deck? 
Is that, yeah. is that, I'm just, I wanted to kind of bring that term back. Did you feel like you had a soulmate deck before that? Or was this that embodiment? Was there something close to it? Or were you really feeling every time you pulled out your cards, you maybe appreciated the artwork, but you didn't really feel as connected as you wanted to? I have a few that I really like. So there's one, probably the most famous tarot deck in the world. It's called the Waitsmith Tarot. And it was created in like 1909. So it's been around a long time. And most decks are based off that. So I kind of mentioned that earlier that a lot of decks are based off other decks. It's a lot of decks are super based off of that deck. And that's the deck I learned with. And it does have people and I do like it in a lot of ways, but something always felt a little off, even though it was one of my main working decks. And I think one of the reasons why is because that deck is so rich in symbolism, but the symbolism in that deck is very specific. Like the not all of it, but a lot of it is like, it was created to be like, oh, this ties into this occult symbolism. This ties into this like ancient Egyptian thing. This ties into this, this, you know what I mean? It's like very, like, you have to kind of know those references to fully, you don't have to, but it helps you understand the deck. So I wanted something where the symbols are there, but they're not saying like, they're not leading you to a specific path of this symbol means this. It's, you can kind of feel what that symbol means to you. Uh, I'm not sure if that makes sense at all. And then I know I'm a little long-winded, but I wanted to add with that, that there is a, there was another deck, which is a newer deck called the wild unknown, which got super popular. And I, when I got that deck, I didn't have a guidebook for it, but I really liked it. And it doesn't have people. It has animals. It's an animal um, deck. And I started writing blog posts, giving my personal interpretations of the wild unknown tarot and it ended up that a lot of people found those blog posts and still do to this day that's actually how annie found me is through that through my posts on that deck so those were both like i had those two decks and i had a lot of other decks but it was still kind of like like the wild unknown is a little bit stark with the imagery a little um a little harsh a little cold feeling sometimes so yeah it was still kind of like where's the absolute deck that i'm like yes like this just feels right and then and then I made it and now I have it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, is is that is that one that you use the most? Is that your go-to deck now that it's yours? Or are you a little self-conscious to use it, especially with clients? Or are you excited to use it with clients because you want to share what you've created with them? That's so funny you asked that because I was just thinking about that earlier today. Um, I am kind of still self-conscious with clients. I don't know why. When I use it for me, it's absolutely my favorite and it's just perfect. But I do, I think I do feel self-conscious a little bit. I do use it with my clients and and it goes great, but there's kind of, I don't know, like it feels so personal. It's like, it's hard to explain, but um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting experience. Oh, so is there an aspect of almost vulnerability? Yeah, I think that's kind of it. And it's also, it probably goes back to that weird hangup I have about like, I don't like dogma. So doing a reading with my own deck, it's really, cause like, I know what I meant when I created these cards. So it's hard for me to be like interpreting them for people sometimes. Whereas with a deck I didn't make, I'll be like, oh, this could mean this or this could mean that. And it doesn't have that layer to it. Yeah, it is like a vulnerability thing, I think too. So it sounds like there's a bit of a bias to your deck because you're so familiar with it. It's perfect for you to work out your issues and uh, your, you know, kind of questions and, and 
interests, but maybe with someone else, you feel you might be swaying them towards your personal beliefs or your perspective or your intentions. Yeah. And it's probably even more than I think I'm swaying them. It's that I'm so hyper aware of trying not to sway them that I think I make it weird. Like, I think it's just a thing I need to work on in my own head. I'm tripping myself up over it. Part of it, you know, for me, what came to mind first was that idea of like self-promotion that, you know, you're in a position of this is your work and, and you're part, you know, part of your career and your interests and your trade and to kind of bring this in, it, it might take kind of take away the emotional experience that you're trying to have for your client if it feels like you're trying to maybe sell them on it, so to speak. Yeah, like I've never felt like I'm really trying to sell it on them, but I don't want, so usually when I, not usually always, when I do client readings, I have, I have a ton of decks, but I have three that I use with clients. One of them's mine. And then actually the other two are the two I mentioned earlier, the Waitsmith and the Wild Unknown. So I usually start the session by showing them the three decks and asking if one feels stronger for them. And I'm always like, okay, full disclosure, I created this one, but don't feel like you have to pick it because I I love read any with any of them. I like that. I like that. It's it's good to, you know, bias. I always talk to my students about this. Bias is okay as long as you let your audience know of your bias so that it's clear, it's apparent. And if they choose to go with that deck, if they feel drawn to it just as you did, then then you have that shared experience that might bring them closer to to the to the whole tarot experience, you know, with the reader. Yeah, that's true. And it's been really amazing now that our deck has been out in the world for a while that I will sometimes get a client who they specifically know I created that deck and that's why they're coming to me. And so that's really an honor. Um, So yeah, I got to work around my own kind of mental hangups on it. I'll get there. We all do. We all do for sure. So you know, I, I'm interested to hear, I feel like, you know, looking at our conversation so far, we've talked a lot about your experience, your personal connection to your tarot decks and your kind of practices. And almost, it seems like we've focused on the kind of personal aspects of your tarot work, and then kind of started to bridge into the professional ones as you've created. Now, I don't think we talked much about your experience with clients as a tarot reader, as a kind of guide. I think we've talked mostly about, you know, the kind of uh, one-on-one or, or one-on-self experience with tarot so far. So when, when someone comes to you, are they sometimes, you know, someone like me who would have no experience with tarot whatsoever and just are interested and curious, and then you guide them and you're not really explaining how it works, but you're more talking them through a journey? You know, what are the kind of types of clients you would see with different levels of experience and interest? Mm. The vast majority of my clients actually are fellow tarot readers, not not usually professional professional ones, but usually they find me either through my posts, my blog posts on the Wild Unknown, or they find me now through my deck, the Spacious Tarot, or just I've been doing you know, creating content online about tarot for quite a while. So usually they find me through that and they're familiar with tarot. And that is actually my favorite. It's not that I'm, it's not that I don't enjoy once in a while, I get someone who doesn't know anything about tarot. Usually that happens because someone who does know tarot and knows me like buys them a reading. It's because, you know, it could be kind of hard for people to find me otherwise, but I love working with people who do have some level of familiarity because what I've leaned into more and more over the years I've been doing this is um, I used to do 
like people could buy a written reading from me. So we would essentially communicate through email and I would like type up the reading and send it to them. Or I would do an audio where I would just record the reading and send it to them. And I don't do those anymore right now. Right now I only do live, like on video call um, readings. And I think that is the most powerful way for me to do a reading because it. I think of it as a co-creative process. So my client, they often have their own sort of connection to the imagery and I'm facilitating, but they are also participating and we together are talking about how do we make sense of these cards. Um, and I love that. That's my favorite type of reading to do. Yeah. So, so when you say uh, co-creative, I think was the word that you use there. Does that mean that the cards that are revealed in the story that's brought up, is that partly your story or is it your client's story? And you're, like you said, facilitating or guiding them through it. When you see the cards revealed, when you make the interpretations, when you go through that journey, does it have anything to do with you or is it just their story that you're revealing? My aim is always for it to just be their story. There is a thing that I think all tarot readers need to be aware of, which is obviously the idea of projection. So sometimes we as tarot readers can like say something and it's kind of, we're projecting like our self or our whatever onto that card for the person. And it's hard to have that like 0% because that's just natural human thing. But yeah, my intention is always like when I'm doing a reading for someone, it's about them it's not about me, but I'm also very clear. And I think we talked about this already, but I don't consider myself psychic. So there is room that sometimes a card comes up with a client and I'll tell them, well, for me, I think, you know, it's telling you, it could be saying this, it could be saying that. And most of the time they're like, oh my gosh, yes. And they'll kind of go deeper into that. But once in a while I'll say, does that resonate? And they'll say, actually, I'm not sure, you know, maybe we need to talk about like different possibilities with that card. And so that is an opportunity for me to kind of be humble and not assume like that I am going to fully get, you know, like, I'm not there to be impressive. I'm not there to whatever I'm there to be useful for them. And that means listening to them, not just rambling on myself. So what has been some of the reception from people overall, whether it's using your spacious tarot decks on their own time, sitting in with a session with you, you know, are, is there an interesting story? You're not really naming names, but you're talking about maybe an experience that someone had had and, and a meaningful part of how it helped them through something. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not totally sure if this is going to answer the question, but I just, I sort of, at the end of a reading, if the person feels like they have more clarity, if they feel like they've maybe come back to some type of center within themselves, because a lot of times when I start working with people, they're seeking a reading because there's something that's sort of troubling them or something they can't really make sense of. So if even in a small way, I've helped them shift something through that reading, that's when I think it's quote unquote successful. Uh, so I don't know, did that, does that answer? Are you asking something else? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I almost hear it like the teacher mindset, right? With any sort of teacher in any setting, any subject, a, a student has a problem, right? You know, a participant has a problem, has an issue, and it's your job to help them through that issue, but to give them their own kind of sense of agency and power in order to unlock that. You're not really giving them answers, but rather you're helping them through and helping them to find those very answers that they need. Yes, exactly. 
it's very much sounds like any kind of teacher process. So, yeah, it's something that's kind of, that might surprise people who don't know anything about tarot, but, and I have all different, I have a lot of different kinds of clients, but my most common um, profession of my clients by far is therapists. So a lot of therapists, and I think it's because a lot of people who are therapists are open to that idea of um, different modalities that might be useful and looking at things in different lenses and, you know, symbolism and all of these kinds of things. So that's kind of interesting. And I learned from them too, which is, which is an honor for me. With these therapists, they are your clients. Now, are they using tarot for themselves or as a learning tool for their clients or both? Most of them it's for themselves, but I definitely have a few. In fact, um, this, so he's not a client of mine. He's a professional colleague, someone I know through the tarot community. Uh, He's a psychotherapist who uses tarot in his practice. His name's Andy Matzner, and he's written a few books. I have a couple of his books. They're amazing. So that is a thing that's starting to happen is people who are actually credentialed therapists are using tarot with their clients. Um, Obviously, that's very different than what I do. I'm always very clear to people like tarot is not a replacement for therapy unless it is you're actually going to someone who is credentialed, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I appreciate you sharing everything with me. I think what I'd like to do now is um, two different things. I'd like to kind of have a conversation for someone that's new to tarot, for someone that's interested in tarot, where do they begin? Where, where does their journey start with tarot? Because tarot itself is a journey. How, how should they begin interacting with the tarot community? Well, okay. So first I'm going to go ahead and do a little shameless plug because I have a free course. I have a free 90 minute course called foundational tarot that I made a couple of years ago. Um, People can get that by going to my website, which is carriemallon.com. And it's uh, sign up for my email list and you get it automatically. You get the link to that. And that goes through a synthesis of what I think of as Um, some really good starting information about the structure of the deck, about, you know, how to start building a practice and all of that kind of thing. So that's my little shameless plug. And then the second thing I would add in terms of getting into more of a community, because I think that is really helpful. And um, there's a huge spectrum of tarot community online. Uh, But the one that I like the most where I hang out is on Instagram. So going on Instagram and just looking at hashtags like uh, tarot readers of Instagram or like just hashtag tarot, tarot cards, anything like that, you'll start finding people who are sharing their daily pulls and are sharing their kind of interpretations. And it's just nice to kind of meet people and you know, it's nice with any interest when you start getting into something to talk to other people who are into that thing too. Definitely. Okay. And, and actually part two was going to be uh, shameless plugs as well. So it was right in the alley of what we were going to do next. So, so we've heard a little bit about the spacious tarot and I, I think that's the kind of uh, center of, of our conversation. What inspired me to talk to you, where can we find uh, the spacious tarot, a deck of it, if we want. Yeah, so we have a separate website for the deck. It's 
thespaciousterot.com. And we also have an Instagram account specifically for the deck, which is at thespaciousterot on Instagram. And um, that's a nice kind of community place, I think, as well as our little Spacious Tarot crew. Great. Okay. And um, any anything else you'd like to plug? Anyone else, including you know other places that we can find you and your work, as well as maybe some of your colleagues that you're inspired by. Anyone else in the community? So for me, it's, I already mentioned my website. I have my own Instagram too, which is at Carrie Mallon. And this I'll tie into because uh, we were talking about like how to start with tarot, and I kind of jumped ahead into. I have the free 90 minute course, but a few others that I think are super amazing um, for people who really want to go deeper into tarot. My two biggest inspirations, one is Mary Kay Greer. She has been a tarot teacher for decades. She has a blog. She has lots of books. My favorite one is 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card. Um, She talks a lot about like the Jungian perspective, like I mentioned, synchronicity. And she just, she's done everything. She's amazing. She's, I consider her like one of my icons. And then the second one, uh, her name is Rachel Pollock. And she's another one who's been around for decades. She wrote a book called 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which is uh, like one of the most iconic tarot books that exists. It's amazing. So those are two of my favorite uh, kind of teachers and uh, people in the community. Great. Thanks so much for talking with me, Carrie. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Brian. It was great. Okay. Is there is there anything you say at the end of a kind of tarot reading to to take us off? Is there like a debrief? Is there a, a phrase, anything that comes to mind? Uh, I don't know if there's anything in particular that I say at the end. Um, actually, it's really simple, but usually I just tell people, take good care. I will be thinking of you and wishing you all of the best, which is always true. Thank you for listening to Pass Your Passion. Remember, as always, to pass your passion because you don't know who you're going to inspire next.